This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Nay Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week is regular panellist Copperberg, also known as Robbie Kopak, and special guest fan Liam Hallinan. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good, good. Now, Clarets, it's not been the best of weeks. Let's be honest here. It's all a bit doom and gloom surrounding the Clarets. We've had a tough week with away losses at both Olympiacos in the Europa League and also in the Premier League away at Fulham and shipping quite a significant number of goals in the meantime. But we're going to do our best tonight to cheer us all up, Clarets. We are going to have a good show. We're going to get it all off our chest. We're going to talk through some really important talking points and we're going to all cheer up by the end of it. So we're going to start by having a chat with Liam, who got on a plane, well, probably several planes, actually, got his passport and went to Athens for the cause. So we'll be chatting to him in a minute about just what it was like to be in such an iconic stadium at such a glamorous European fixture. And then we're going to start talking about some key talking points from this week, being the Olympiakos controversy, some stabbings and some trouble in Greece, some early concentration levels, what on earth has happened to our defence, a possible winger crisis and the never-ending debate of Europe versus not Europe. So Liam, let us come to you first. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and we just want to know. We want to know all about Athens. Give us a postcard from Athens. Tell us how you got there first. What was your journey like? Well, the journey was surprisingly uh, good, actually. Um, we didn't make the decision to go to Athens until probably the night before the tickets came out for uh, point holders less than 5,000. Because uh, my two my two sons are staying with us for these two weeks and they're, they're under that level, um, absolutely. So we decided after all the excitement of the week before and the weekend that we'd We'd go for it. So that night I booked the flights. Weren't the cheapest flights after say BA via Heathrow, but it was a very, very pleasant journey. There weren't many Burnley fans on our flight. Unlike when we went to Istanbul, we saw Burnley fans all over the place in Manchester Airport on the flight, on the journey from the airport into town, etc. 
not so many on this occasion, but I have to say that the, the flight was really pleasant. I had to work late on, on the Wednesday, so we set off late Wednesday evening. We got into the hotel in Athens at about 3 a.m. on Thursday morning, and we were up, up at dawn waiting for the excitement to start. And that's when it did start. I have to say, I think that the thing about these away days in Europe, they're completely different for a normal away day. For example, you've got kindred spirits. The fans are all there. You've seen them possibly in Istanbul if you're lucky enough to go there as well. Everybody recognises each other. It's got a slightly different angle to a normal away day. But let me talk a little bit about the setup by the football club. In kind of difference to what we had in Istanbul, the information from the club was immediate. All the information that you had was straight there about where to meet, where to pick up the tickets, where to go and have the fan zone, etc. It was really good, really prompt. And that's all credits to the relationship between Olympiacos and Burnley FC. And that's uh, information that I got from the support liaison group down at Burnley Football Club. The location to collect the tickets was great. Lovely hotel. The atmosphere there was great. There was a lovely buzz. And in the area around the hotel and just a little bit further away, the, the club flags were set up outside the bars. And even some bars had running buffets waiting for the fans to turn up to get into the spirit of things. And drinks were flowing. It was, it was really good, really good. I, I just thought all, all, all around the day and the run-up to the match was absolutely perfect. Yeah, it definitely sounds it. So you you mentioned there in, in that build-up, Liam, that it's different from away games. How is it different? Because the vast majority of I mean, I was, I was at Aberdeen, which was a fantastic experience and did feel a little bit different. But of course, you actually got on a plane and went just... Can you talk about how did it feel different? What was what was the distinction? It was kind of like, you know, you, you were one of a few people that, that could have eventually made it. And that, that's not to do with, it's not to do with money. It's not to do with anything like that. It's to do with the look of being able to get that ticket and being able to book that flight and get on there. And you were there experiencing that part of history, that Burnley Football Club history that many people that were there will never experience again. There was some older fans that were there that have probably seen and heard and watched of some of the European away days before. But there are a lot of younger fans that, you know, were really getting a grip of this and really embracing it. And what I felt that there was a, a greater bond between that group of fans and the group of fans that were both at Istanbul and at Athens that went travelled to both. And, you know, there was just some something there that was different to a normal away day. I think in a normal away day, you do your thing, you get on the train or you get on the supporters bus, you do whatever, you, you drive to the game and you maybe have your own routine, but this is completely different. You're all together, you're all doing the same thing and the atmosphere was brilliant. I have to say, at the end of the match at Istanbul, despite a rather treacherous journey back, which I'm sure many people have heard about from the ground back to town, most fans descended upon one particular bar and eventually there were more fans at that bar than I'd seen at any other bar in the evening. And this particular bar said that they'd made more money that day than they made all year. And the Manchester music was flowing, you know, uh, Happy Mondays, etc. Everybody was buzzing and having drinks and it was getting quite late and people had to start leaving. And when we arrived in Athens and we got the tickets we went to the area where all the fans were meeting. You saw all the familiar faces and it just clicked once again. And you, you've created a bond. It's like there's a new football family being created by this little European journey that we're on. Oh, my God. It sounds incredible. I could honestly, every time I've spoken to somebody who was either at Istanbul or Athens and they tell the stories, they say very similar things to what you said, actually. it's It seems that everybody picked up on the same feeling and the same atmosphere at the ground 
what was it like when you got in the ground? You know, how did that compare? Because you must obviously it must be quite strange being in such a minority inside the ground. Well, when we first got to the ground, we were the only ones there, of course, because we got shipped up to the ground early doors. But again, I have to say that that arrangement by the football club was brilliant. So big, big kudos to Burnley Football Club in terms of the arrangements of the fans, the time that they had to arrange it. Clearly, the relationship between the, the club and uh, Olympiacos w- w- was great. But we got to the ground. Naturally, you don't expect there to be any alcohol served. So the, the party atmosphere may have slightly um, dropped a little bit, but the singing certainly increased. And the songs that were coming out, it was nonstop. It, and that's what I like about the away games. It's... It makes me reflect back to places like Leicester two or three years ago where it was non-stop, we are the alongside Burnley, but this way they were going through the different songs. And they really showed themselves to be a great set of supporters and and what a troop of fans, what a group of people to go and watch, you know, little old Burnley at the end of the day and little old Burnley in Europe. And I think we did them proud. And you could tell that, by the way, that they continually come over to the away, away end and clap after every match. Yeah, I was going to pick up on that, actually, because this is something that I asked Tom Whitaker, who was our first fan panel, uh, sorry, first fan guest when he went across to Istanbul. And one of the specific questions I wanted to know was what was that connection like at the end of the game? And what was that camaraderie between you and the fans? Uh, sorry, the fans and the players. You know, did you feel that it was different at the end? Did, did they, could, could you know, could they feel your presence? Like, it's a strange one to ask, but I guess, you know, did it just feel different to a normal away game? Yeah, it does. It, it does for that reason. I think, I think it's they appreciate that you've made that that extra effort, and and that's not demeaning any other fans that couldn't make that extra effort because you know, fingers crossed, if we go further, there's plenty of opportunity for others to do more, and there's loads of away games for us to go to at any time, any any time of the season. Tell you what, I noticed straight on the final whistle, Sean Dyche stomping down the touchline and putting his hands up and clapping. Now, normally, when you're home, when you're away, there's a few handshakes and what have you, but he came straight down and did that straight away. And that kind of made me feel a little bit warm inside. Maybe a little bit of a a man crush thing going on there. I'm not sure. But, oh. uh, but, um, oh, I love it. But, but yeah, who were great. I mean, th- there's definitely a different feeling. There were people having jollies. There were clapping and singing. There were people falling all around and having a laugh about it. Do you know what I mean? And it was all so very well humoured and very well behaved. It was brilliant. Yeah, I bet it was. I think, listeners, I mean, that's a fantastic summary of, of what it must have been like to be in Athens. And, and Liam, I'm so grateful for you to come on and, and share that experience with us. And listeners, I just we are going to come on to sort of the end of the show. Uh, the debate that seems to have been escalating on social media this week about whether or not the Clarets should be staying in Europe for the sake of our league form or whether or not we get out of it as soon as is humanly possible. And I'm, I'm sure that Liam will have his own thoughts on that. But I, I just want you to try and remember that summary and think back to, to Tom's summary in the opening show of the season as well and just think about that experience for fans and, and just how incredible it has been for all of our supporters who've managed to get abroad and you know, do what we all wanted to do, get it, get the passport, get on an aeroplane, leave the United Kingdom and go and see the Clarets in a in a brilliant away game in Europe. And, and somewhere iconic like the Olympiakos Stadium as well is just a fantastic um, experience for everybody. So, Liam, let's kind of move away from this now. And I'm going to stick with you in a little bit before I come on to Robbie, because we're going to start talking through a bit of a therapy session, I guess. And we're going to talk through some of the key points from this week. And in a slight switch around of the structure, I wanted to speak to you firstly, because I don't want to touch on this too long. 
But there were some quite sad reports coming out of Greece that there was quite a bit of trouble um, afterwards. And unfortunately, one fan was treated for a stab wound and several, I think three others maybe, were assaulted and robbed either around the stadium or inside it. Clearly, that's not something that anybody wants to see in modern football. But did it feel particularly hostile, Liam? Or do you think this is just a one-off? It didn't feel hostile to me, but I have to say that having reviewed all the information that was available to me as a fan, as a travelling fan, I followed the guidance that the football club gave. And the guidance that the football club gave was don't use a tube, don't use a metro, don't make your own way to the ground, use the, use the coaches. I'm not, I'm not criticising the guys for that. But what I will say is that the particular fans that were involved in any particular controversy, um, as I understand it, so what I've read, they did make their own way to the ground one way or another, and it was kind of in the vicinity of the ground that any action took place. What I will say in a kind of wry smile kind of a way is that I understand that the particular fan that did get attacked and stabbed took it kind of like water off a duck's back. He was treated outside the ground and then said that there's no chance I'm missing this match. I'm going straight in to watch my team play, watch oh my God. team play in Europe. Um, you could almost say that these uh, these Burnley lads are made of sterner stuff. Yeah, they certainly are. And I mean, there is a serious message in there. And I think Liam's summarised that really well, is that, you know, if we do go further in this competition, if we do manage to beat Olympiacos on Thursday and get into the group stages, it's just a reminder, guys, that the guidance is there for a reason and just don't take unnecessary risks because whether you're away at a local side or a British side or away in Europe, you're always going to get people who are have less desirable intentions and people who want to hurt you. So do... Wherever you are, Clarence, do make sure you, you look after yourselves when you're out there. Robbie, we've not spoken to you yet, but let's come to you. I mean, obviously, I think Liam said all that needs to be said about the, the trouble in Greece. But I think I want to talk about the other controversy that surrounded the Olympiacos game. And that is reports coming out of the club and in the national media that following a, shall we say, unfavourable first half for the Olympiacos side and some perceived poor decisions that apparently some senior people within Olympiacos, I think it might be the owner or one of the two coaching staff, were locked away in the referee's room for a good 10 minutes at half time. And there was a noticeable shift in attitude by the referee in the second half. What did you make of that, Robbie? And and I guess kind of summarise it for us. During the game, I didn't actually notice it. It wasn't until I watched the highlights on Claret's player where I, I, it seemed quite pretty obvious. But when I was watching the game, I, was, I went to the fan zone to, again, I didn't really notice it. But that penalty and the sending off for Gibson is the most ridiculous decision I've... It's, it's a penalty. I'm not disputing the penalty. It's that I can't believe that the referee is giving a red card. So you do sort of shift towards that perception that the referee was influenced. And that just spoiled the game for me, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think Darch hit the nail on the head with this, didn't he? When he said that he doesn't mind being beaten by a better side as long as it's a fair fight. And it, it just felt like we had a, a big mountain to climb, didn't it? Liam, what did it feel like in the ground? Did you guys get a sense that there was some unfairness or a shift, I guess? Without a doubt. I mean, you could tell from the first half when Burnley were fairly awarded the penalty, the coaching staff, I think it was their their head coach, plus one other, almost ran onto the pitch. They were booting plastic water bottles and effectively going what seemed seemingly mental at the side of the pitch. And you kind of heard what was going on in dispatches and you could just tell that there was a different shift in attitude from the ref and 
like I, said, I have to agree with uh, with Robbie that that sending off was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it, it weren't even a uh, it weren't even a yellow card in my view. It weren't even a, a free kick in my view. So definitely some sort of influence. Yeah, it's really disappointing to see is that because you like you say you just want to have a fair fight. I guess moving away then from, from the controversy because I think that is what it is, and, and you can't reverse referee decisions. And you've just got to hope that we get a fairer set of circumstances when they come to turf more on Thursday but I want to move on now to the the next sort of I guess major talking point of the week and that is this claret side appears to have switched off completely in the early stages of, of halves now we had the Watford game at the weekend which was sorry not the Watford game well actually yeah we had the Watford game last week didn't we but this week we had Olympiacos where they conceded really early on in both halves and then Fulham away again in the early stages of both the first and second halves. The Clarets just didn't seem to get out of the blocks and, and straight away lost a little bit of discipline and conceded goals. Robert, this is a bit of a pattern that's emerging and it's very unlike Burnley, isn't it? Yeah. I don't even know where to start on it, to be honest, because it's, really, it's probably the most frustrating thing at the moment. When you think about this uh, Sean Dyche Burnley team, you think well-organised, well-drilled, difficult to beat, and we're not any of those at the moment. And we usually build on game. We usually you know, get stronger as the game goes on. And we're just making it harder for ourselves by conceding really sloppy goals right at the start of halves. And the one at Fulham, to be fair, the Serie is 25, 30 yards out. It's a worldie. We'll write that one off. But the Watford ones, the Olympiacos ones, like coming from set pieces, it's just so unlike Burnley. It's just poor. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I can't put my finger on it either. And I was trying to think about this today when I was debating what side of the fence I would fall on in, for tonight's recording. And I, I can't honestly make my mind up whether it's a defensive problem or whether it's a full team problem. And to me... They seem to be adopting an attitude of a pre-season friendly in the early stages of halves. It's like they seem to want to come out and just saunter along and, and just ease themselves into the game gently. And you just can't do that in this league because you will be punished, even if it's one of the perceived weaker sides. And I, I know that sounds hard, to, uh, you know, on, on obviously Watford certainly aren't weak this season and Fulham have spent very well. But they just don't seem to have that spark about them. They don't seem to have that discipline. Liam, did you feel that? Away at Olympiacos, or was it? You know, was it just unfortunate then? Uh, Olympiacos, I didn't feel that. I thought we uh, we appeared to be coming out okay. Actually, it's a bit unfortunate, and it's difficult to criticise. You could argue that that first free kick shouldn't have been given away. A bit of a rash challenge by I think it was Bardsley, right? But it re- it was a good free kick, and there's no criticism against the against the goalkeeper. Um, quite rightly, Tom Eaton came in. And he was in what you could call a baptism of fire coming into that cauldron of noise. And it was a cauldron of noise. I've never heard of so much noise in, in, a, in a stadium in all my life. And I've been to quite a few, right? In terms of at Fulham, like Robbie said, that were a worldie. And I totally agree with Watford. We were asleep at the start of that match. But we soon woke up and we soon got hold of it. And I don't think that Sean Dyche will allow that sort of concentration level to drop like that at the start of matches in, in future. But if you think about it, Palace last season, they went seven games, seven losses, no goals. They weren't playing in Europe, right? 
mid-season ourselves last time. 11 without a win. No Europe, no bother, finish seventh. I don't really think we've got a great deal to worry about. We've got to trust in the manager like we always have done. Absolutely. And, and I, th- I think there is a calmness. Well, I think there's a, there's a mixed feeling at the moment about this slightly. And we'll come on to, to Robbie and Alton, we'll come on to looking at the defence in a moment. I think there is a calmness about the faith in the squad and the faith in the manager. These players don't suddenly become bad players over the course of the season. We've not massively changed our side. Everybody's playing in the same positions that they were supposed to. Yes, OK, we've got a, a midfield problem we're having to play Charlie Taylor in midfield but the structure of the side is fundamentally the same one as the one that ended last season so we haven't got a problem there that needs resolving it's just clearly for me they've just not settled into this season yet and it feels like our pre-season warm-up maybe wasn't as effective as it has been but Liam, we're going to leave it there with you because um, listeners, Liam does have to leave us um, halfway through the podcast today because he has got other commitments. But he will be joining us again later on in the season where we'll uh, be able to, to get him for the full podcast. Liam, thank you so much for joining us and uh, fingers crossed that we get through on Thursday and you can get on another European adventure. Just before you go, what's your predictions for Thursday against Olympiakos and United on Sunday? 2-0 uh, Thursday and a scrappy 1-0 win on Sunday, I think Man United are there for the turkey. Look at that. Listeners, see, we promised you a therapy session and we promised you that we would get Liam in here and Robbie in here and me in here. We would make it all feel better. You can't get more, more, uh, I guess, uplifting than that. Liam, enjoy the rest of your week and thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Okay, so Robbie, just you and me now for the rest of the podcast. We have to now start talking about the rest of the talking points to the week. So where do we start? We've we've obviously we've talked about Olympiakos, we've talked about controversy there, we've talked about crowd trouble, and we've now touched on this problem of lack of concentration in the early part of halves. I guess the main thing that that leads on to is the rather obvious problem that in the past three games we have conceded ten goals. Robbie. Here is the question. What on earth has happened to our defence? I don't even know where to start with it. I had a look earlier. We've, uh, I can't remember what the exact figure was, but I think we conceded, probably in all competitions last season, around 45 goals in all competitions. Then after Fulham, we conceded 10 in the space of seven days. That's a huge concern. Going into the Fulham game, I didn't actually expect us to win. I think when we sat here last week and we discussed like previewing the game, I think I said we'd get beat either 1-0 or 2-0. So I weren't confident anyway. But to concede another four goals, and no disrespect to Watford and Fulham, but to concede that amount, amount of goals against sides who you should be sort of taking points off is quite worrying. If you concede that amount of goals against Liverpool, or Chelsea, United, your Man Cities, you can sort of write it off. But these are teams who we should be trying to take points off and we're just getting, well, steamrolled, to be honest. Yeah, I I agree with you. And and it's so funny that you said that because I was probably of the same view. I don't really know where to start. So you look at this and you think, well, it's the same back four that we had last season. Ward, Lawton, Tarkovsky and Ben Mee. And they were phenomenal last season. They, you know, they put their heads on the the line to stop a ball going and they threw everything that they could at, at any chance to stop it from going in. So I guess the natural question, which may not be a factor, but it's one that we certainly have to consider, is, is the keeper to blame? Now, there was a lot of people who said when Hart came in that they were concerned by him. I thought he played fantastic in the early stages in the Europa League games, I guess the Istanbul games and uh, Southampton. But you can't help but look at the facts and say, well, he's conceded 10. Actually, no, Heaton obviously was in the Nets, wasn't he? So I guess he's conceded seven in two league games. 
Okay, let, let's start with that then, Robbie. Do you think it's a change of keeper that's a problem? Can we pin it on that? I look at it, and I, I was watching the Fulham highlights when I got in from work today, and you can't really blame him on any of the goals. I'm not sure if it's a communication thing. You look at the the third Mitrovic goal where he's like free in the box, and you've got Ben B, Tark, who are solid leaders, and you put Joe Hart in there who's played in Champions League semi-finals, who should be commanding his area. And you can't help but just sort of look at his influence. Is he a shelter? Is he, is he a talker? Because you always saw last season with Nick Pope, he always commanded his box. I thought that were his, his strongest attribute with us. And you can't help but feel that our defensive frailties do come from the goalkeeper at the moment. OK. Um, yeah, no, I think I've, it's very hard to argue against that because you know, the facts speak for themselves and you kind of look at it and you think, well, we've got Pope Heaton and Joe Hart. Surely we should have, you know, we've got three fifths of the best keepers in the England setup at the moment. And it's hard to understand why things aren't going right for him. But then you look at that on the counter argument, Robbie, you say, okay, but Heaton came in on Thursday and Heaton shipped three goals away at Olympiacos. So... What did Heaton do wrong? Well, the first one's a free kick. No, it's, that's one of them. He wasn't happy with his wall, was he, Tom Heaton? He was doing a lot of shouting and a, trying to organise Yeah, he was. I remember that. So yeah, that gets you a bit worried. The second one, it's another set piece. And then the third, can't remember the third one, a penalty. I honestly don't know. My brain's gone. Yes, it was a penalty. He conceded the yeah, can You put me on the spot. There's been so much happened this week, listeners, that for a brief minute, then I completely forgot what had happened away at Istanbul. I've just tried to erase it from my memory completely. But you sort of look at them and they've all come from set pieces. So you can sort of, especially the this first goal and the third goal, you can write them off. The second one, yeah, defensive defensive problems there with a set piece. Yeah, I don't I don't really know where to go with the goalkeeper stuff. I, I don't know who is our strongest goalkeeper at the moment. Well, obviously Pope at the moment, but he's injured. So I think we're struggling. I think... I think it's going to take time, isn't it, for Tom Heaton to get back into the swing of things. And he's going to be so disappointed that he got his chance away in the Europa League and conceded three goals. But like you say, a lot of them aren't particularly down to him. But then you could say the same about Hart as well on Sunday. Some of those goals that Fulham scored were absolutely phenomenal goals, particularly the first one. And I'm sorry, I don't care who's in, in the nets there. They're not saving that strike, particularly the first one. So we don't know if it is a keeper problem, but it might be. One of the points that I think was sent in to us by one of our listeners during the week was the swapping and changing of our defenders isn't helping the cause. Now, last season, we played the same 11 pretty much the entire season and certainly the back five did not change for whether they be probably league games or cup games or, you know, it was the same five. So some people have questioned whether or not this squad rotation that Darch is adopting to try and counteract the number of hours and the number of minutes that these guys have to get under their belts, whether that is actually doing us more harm than good. And the inconsistency and the uncertainty amongst the defence is causing a problem. So, Robbie, could that be the problem? Possibly, but the starting 11s in the three Premier League games have been exactly the same. So that doesn't really answer the... Yeah, the that was the argument I put forward. I, I do think it's an issue that will get ironed out. I don't think it's a long-term problem. I think we will become more resolute again and being able to grind out results, which we're well known for. I think it's just probably just a few early season jitters, the insecurities of Europa League and stuff. I think once the Europa League stuff has died down and we've been eliminated, I think we will get back to our best. I'm sorry. I want, Robbie. I, I, I said Come to uh, Dave Downey, who's a work colleague of mine, who does a Blue Room podcast, who I just said, 
for the sake of our season, let, let's just get out now. I'm sorry, I'm one of those fans. I'm sorry. Oh, well, that's quite that's really good, actually, because when we come on to this at the end of the show, I'm in the opposite camp. So I'm, I'm quite glad that we've got two, two competing, uh, competing views there. Okay, so we don't really know what's happening with our defence listeners. I think we, we can kind of maybe put it on a keeper problem. We can maybe put it on a rotation problem. But then, as Robbie quite rightly says, we've been using the same players for the league. We just obviously don't really know yet what's going on. Maybe it might just be as simple as we have faced a Watford side and a Fulham side who will score goals a lot this season. You know, Southampton didn't get any get any past us. We got a point. Actually, no, Southampton was 1-1, wasn't it? 0-0? 0-0. It was 0-0. Listeners, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening to me this week. There's too much going on. I think for the sake of the podcast next week, I should have stats all over the studio walls where I'm recording. I'll have big, massive post-it notes where I can remind myself of stats just so that you don't think that I'm completely... Another you... argument, Natalie. Yeah. Once we're out your Europa League, there'll be less stuff to remember. That's another positive. This is very true. Actually, I might have to change my mind, listeners. For the sake of this podcast and for the sake of credibility to our listeners. Actually, I don't think I need credibility to our listeners. They all know the, the warm and friendly chaos that surrounds the Known and Never podcast. So, Robbie, let's move on to the next issue that we are facing is a winger crisis. The absolutely frustrating news coming out of the Fulham game at the weekend was the injury to Goodmanson. We are told it's his hamstring. We are not told how serious or how long he'll be out for. We never know with Sean Dyche. Yes, a small niggle can suddenly turn into a six-month injury. There's some weird and mysterious injuries that have happened to Robbie Brady and Stephen DeFore. I'm not really sure what's happened to them, whether it's maybe a dinosaur bite or an alien invasion or something. But clearly they're out of the equation and we have no idea what's happening with those. Robbie, we've talked about this last week on the podcast about having to make do and why we're still in a position where we're having to play a left-back in in midfield as a winger to try and cope with a squad problem. Now, yes, we have been unfortunate with injuries, but Vidra's nowhere near the bench yet. We're not really sure, again, whether he's some kind of mystical creature or whether he is actually going to play at some point in 2027 when he's finally Deitch fit. But we are now looking at a winger crisis, a particularly, you know, a lack of creativity in a side that was already struggling for creativity in the first place. Yeah, I can't believe we're in this situation. The transfer window shut three, what, two, three weeks ago and we're already short on players. Now, I was going to touch on and go back to Fulham. Sean Dyche in his press conference, it took him 11 seconds to mention the amount of money they've spent. Oh, it's winding me up. It's literally, it's my biggest bugbear with Sean at the moment where he, if a club spends more money than us, which is probably the other 19 clubs, he would just, you know, just, he has to mention it. He, he had the money to spend. It was him who decided not to spend it. We could have easily done a deal for Jay Rodriguez. Now, he could have, he's played on the left-hand side before for West Brom. He did it for us when Brian Laws was in charge. And and now we're sort of ruining that, not uh, getting the deal done. And I can't help but feel really, really frustrated at that. If this happens in November, December, and you obviously the season goes on, you do get little niggly injuries and you can sort of go, oh, we're going through a rough patch. But for, for it to happen, and we're not even in September yet, is an absolute joke. Yeah, it really is. And I think I caveat this next segment, listeners, in the sense that clearly this is a niggle. We all absolutely adore Sean Dyche and the what he's done for the club and how fantastic a manager he is. But, you know, not everybody's perfect. And maybe in times of slight 
trouble. So I'm not saying there's trouble at the club, but you know we've had a difficult start to the season. We're having to balance the Premier League and the Europa League, and, and maybe sometimes those little niggles that you've got become heightened because you're frustrated. But I absolutely share Robbie's concern here. It's not like in the transfer window we had a full strength squad and we had a couple of backups, so we were only looking to improve or get a better squad. When the transfer window was open, we knew that Robbie Brady wasn't fit yet. We knew that Defoe was still not there yet. We were we had Ashley Barnes coming back from an injury. We knew that we had problems in the squad. And no, I don't expect Dyche to go out and spend 100 million like Fulham has. We can't spend that money. It's not just the transfer fees, it's the wages. You know, we, we'd got a deal sorted for um, Mawson and he ended up going to Fulham for well over double what we were prepared to pay him. And there's, that's nothing we can do about that. We've got a, a, a wage structure in place and we can't beat it. But as Robbie said, the deal for Jay, from what we understand, was only a couple of million difference between the clubs. Well, just pay it. And it, it's... It's frustrating that Deitch, he has a insistence on only paying what he deems players to be worth. And actually, Sean, the market is changing and I know you hate it and I know you're frustrated with it and I know you think that it's spiralling out of control. But if we don't play the game, we aren't going to be able to compete at this level. And for the sake of a couple of million, we could have got Jay in. You know, we've we've got Vidra in, which is a fantastic... I'm really excited to see him play. I can't wait till we get him. But again, if you're going to insist that players are dash fit before they're allowed to come into it... And, and Robbie, he said this throughout the press conferences this week. He said that he wants his players to be fit to play, not get fit by playing. I can't remember how he worded it, but it was something along those lines. Yeah, the, the, the talk of like an extra two million for Jay Rodriguez. Yeah. If we, if we had just paid it, I think our overall spending would have been around... Oh, I can't even think what it was. Would it be? It'd be around not even like 50 million quid. And when yeah, you no, we, well, that... we paid 15, didn't we, for Vidra? Was it 15 or 16 for Vidra? I think it was less than um, that. Yeah, did we, yeah, was it? And then what would have been about 18, 21 for J, something like that. Yeah, so, so, yeah, oh, we're talking, what, 35? Yeah, so it would have been, and then obviously like Gibson on top of that. And then Hart. And Hart. Yeah, so it would have been around 50, 50 million Yeah, about 55. Yeah. yeah, so if you think about that in context of an entire market, it's not that much money. So you might as well just push the boat out a little bit. He's a player who fits the system. He wanted the move. Us fans wanted the move. So it just seems to suit all parties. But then 12 months before that, you'll spend £5 million on Naki Wells, not play a football match for yeah. us. And, he, and you could sort of tell that was a panic buy. You could tell he was never going to yeah, fit the system. And it's just it's a little bit, I don't, want, I don't want to say the word insulting, but... It does just leave a bit of a sour taste. Yeah. and But th- the thing is, though, we're going to have to. We're going to have to spend in January. It just seems criminal to me that Jay's having to play in the Championship this season because he's so, and this is no disrespect to the Championship, but he's such a better player and he should be playing in the Premier League and he could have been playing with us. It's where he wanted to be. And we'd have just had so much more of an option at the start of the season. And and I think the, the point I was going to make with Vidra as well, I have no problem with Deitch wanting his players to be Deitch fit before he plays them. But if you do, you have to get them in in the first week of of July. You can't make that signing a week before the season starts. And then they sat on the bench for three months. That's an exaggeration, listeners, obviously. But do you know what I mean? It's just frustrating. So, you know, we're now going to be a couple of weeks in until we at least get to the international break where we're having to play Charlie Taylor in in midfield and and Aaron Lennon, who's... um, Well, Aaron Lennon's a bit of a divisive character at the moment. I think he's playing quite fine. Some people seem to be getting on his back and and, and don't want to deal with it. But hey-ho, you know, Dutch will will muddle around around and he'll get those players fit. But before we move on, Robbie, as I think I'm in danger of getting ranty here, I'm going to come on to the final 
final talking point of the week, which is this, what's it called? Um, <laughs> debate, shall we say, borderline arguments. So they've been going on on social media all week. And there is the camp of fans who want us to get out of Europe as soon as is humanly possible because they want us to concentrate on the league, a la Robbie. And there are those fans who believe that we should be embracing um, Europe at all costs. Well, not at all costs, but at um, league position cost so long as we survive. And that is a camp that I fall into. Now, before we start debating this, I want to just read out a message that Luke Lambert sent to us on Twitter this week. And this was he sent it through our messages. And it, I just thought this was a really great summary. And I asked him if we could read it out on the show. And he said we could. So what Luke said to us was, our start to the season has no doubt been disappointing. Aside from the first half against Southampton, we've not played well in the league. We've been too open and our defence has often been exposed. This is unusual for Burnley under Dyche. Whilst our football has been more exciting and we've created more chances than normal, we need to get back to nil-nil at half-time and being in the game for the last quarter. There has been plenty of chat around our European fixtures causing our league form to suffer. I think the whirlwind nature of the playoff format and not knowing who, when or where we are playing from one week to the next hasn't helped. This uncertainty, coupled with the unfamiliarity of European football for the players, staff, fans and town, has had an impact. But we should do everything we possibly can to get to the group stages. We might not have this opportunity again for many, many years. If we do make it through, we will have time to plan for each trip we will know all of our fixtures from now until Christmas. This allows us better preparation for each fixture, something that hasn't been possible so far. All clubs go through tough times and Darch has had difficult periods in the past, but we have to trust him to work his magic as he has always seemed to do. He has been a fantastic manager and it is easy to forget that finishing seventh last year was one of the greatest achievements in football over the past decade. Let's create an incredible atmosphere on Thursday. Getting through this tie would be a brilliant achievement and would serve as a way of kickstarting this season. Robbie, counter argument over to you. Funnily enough, that was actually going to be my kind of counter argument because I was actually going to actually suggest that if we do get do make the group stages, it might make things easier to prepare because you have like seven. We've had like seven days to prepare between the games between Istanbul and Olympiacos. It's not much time to get your head around it all. As in terms of if we get the group stages, you'll see what group you're in, you'll see who you're up against. It gives you time just to kind of just like settle into it a little bit more. And there's about three weeks in between each group game. So obviously that'd be a massive bonus. So yeah, I'm sort of sat on the fence. Well, that's quite good. At the beginning of the show, you were very firmly in camp. Let's get out of Europe as soon as possible. Um, Robbie, I can see, let, let's take that, that side first. And I can see why fans are concerned and I can see why... They are nervous because we've had some fantastic years so far in Dash and people just want that to continue. And there is that uncertainty and there's that unknown element of European football. And something's going wrong in the early part of this season and fans are trying to look for a rationale behind that. And it's very easy to look at the one thing that we've got this year that we haven't had in the last few years and say, well, it's obviously got to be that because what else is there? Now, Robin, my view with this is 
there is no difference. Let's let's take prize money to one side because people keep telling me that prize money is is a massive thing and that we should, should be finishing as high up as possible. I think there's about 20 million difference between finishing towards the bottom and finishing towards the top. Well, my counter argument to that would be prize money is probably irrelevant because we're not spending it. So let's look at this from, a, I guess, a crude analysis. The net outcome of finishing 8th and 17th in the Premier League is exactly the same you just get to play Premier League football the year after. Now, as long as we are comfortable that we can remain in this division, even if it's only 17th place, we should be throwing everything we can at the Europa League and trying our best to progress as far as is humanly possible. Because this ain't going to come round again, not for a long time. We're not going to finish seventh in the current Premier League setup. I think last year we were rewarded for a fantastic season by us, but also some poor seasons by Everton, West Ham, Southampton, those kind of clubs who you would naturally think would push for seventh place. So our only way then of getting back into Europe, Robbie, is either through winning the FA Cup or I think the League Cup gets you there as well, which again is a cup competition and that's not that easy to do if you're also prioritising Premier League survival. So I've had quite a lot of fans contact me this week to say that they would rather concentrate on us finishing in sort of 10th to 13th place and consolidating and building from there. Well, why? What's the point? You can't, what, what are you going to build from 10th place? You're only going to build to 8th. Same net result, apart from a couple of million extra prize money. You, you know, I, I, We're not talking about long term here. We're not talking about putting us in a position where we finish 17th for the next five or six years and always flirting with relegation. We're talking about one season because once this season's done and we, we're out, the, you know, we finish wherever we finish in the Europa League and we keep our Premier League position, next year is exactly the same. We've only got the, the Premier League to concentrate on and we can go for it and then we can start consolidating ourselves as a, as a top table side. That is where I'm coming from, Robbie, and that's that's for me why I think we should go for it on Thursday. No, I listen. I, I get both sides. I really do. Before the Fulham game, I was like, "Let's give the Europa League a real go," but I can't help but feel just a little bit worried when we're getting tossed aside by the likes of Watford and Fulham, and they have had good starts. To be fair, you could just write it off as that. But if the worst does come to worst, and we, let's not. I'm not saying the, making the group stages be a terrible thing but if we get relegated into the championship because of our Europa League form getting out of the championship is a hard thing to do I know we went 23 undefeated last time but we were still having to grind out nitty gritty 1-0 wins it wasn't pretty football and I don't want to be and your favourites going into every game staying in the Premier League I just think it's got to be the priority just because of just of who we are and just building sort of building on that like I, I agree that the, the Europa League stuff isn't going to come round every year but if we, if we do go out this on, on Thursday night it, it will give us a plan platform again to give us an appetite to want to do it again and you, and you never know what will happen yeah and I, I agree with you Robbie I do share your concerns but I you know I can't help but feel like we're going to miss an opportunity here if we don't listeners let's uh, let's leave those talking points this week we have talked about Olympiakos we've talked about crowd trouble we've talked about officials potentially pressurizing referees we've talked about a defensive problem and now a midfield problem we've looked at why our concentration levels aren't that great in the early starts of games and we've debated whether or not we stay in or out of Europe. Listeners, we really want to hear your views on this. Either contact us on Twitter or drop us an email from the website and we just want to know what your views are. So let's move on from that and let's actually look ahead to changing our league form this week coming away. And what better way to do that than to bring in resident statistician Dave Roberts. 
welcome back. How are we? I'm well, Natalie, yourself? Yes, we're all very good, thank you. So what do you have in store for us this week? I know we talked about Olympiakos and our lack of Greek away sides. Um, so obviously we're not going to really look at Olympiakos, but we've got a small matter of Manchester United coming to Turf Moor. What on earth can we expect, Dave? Oh, well, if you want a team to come to Turf Moor and get a victory, then uh, you know Man United are the team for that. Oh, OK, Dave. We've just had a podcast where we've had to try and offer our listeners some therapy. I'm not sure that's what we were aiming for. Come on, is there okay? Is there anything that we can draw some kind of hope and enthusiasm from? Not really, based on the past record. If you well, other than one uh, notable exception, Burnley fans will might well remember a, a Robbie Blake goal in uh, 2009, Burnley's first season back in the Premier League that 1-0 victory but when you look back the last 10 games that's the only goal that Burnley have scored against Manchester United the only goal did you just say the only goal yeah oh wow oh this isn't good and we've not we've not really got goals in us at the moment how many have we been conceding do we know that uh, in these matches um, they've been fairly tight games I mean there's been you know 1-0 wins 0-0 draws um, but Manchester United certainly in the last well say recent times, going back to the early 70s, they have an Indian sign over over Burnley. They just seem to uh, be able to come to Turf Moor and get the victories, apart from that Robbie Blake goal, the the, uh, the, the first season back in the Premier League. Oh, heck. <laughs> Listeners, Dave's not been very uplifting this week, isn't he? So maybe we're well, one. <laughs> I think, well, this is it, isn't it? Stats are there to be broken, Dave, yeah, which is well. not really great for your feature. But, <laughs> but what, what can we, I guess... What can we what can we expect? Look at this from your perspective, Dave. I mean, taking away stats to one side, and we'll come back to those in a minute. Stats at the moment, surely we can throw out the window with this current United side and the troubles that they're facing. What's your heart telling you that we'll do on Sunday? Um, it'll be a tough game. We, we know it will, but the, the you know the, the pressure will be on them. I think you know they look at um, the match against Tottenham, the result they had. I mean, they played really well in the first half, but couldn't convert and then uh, paid for it in the second half. But over the course of the game, there wasn't a huge amount in it, really. But, um, you know, they came off and lost 3-0. Yeah, that's true. I'm feeling quite confident about Sunday's game. I think this is a really good time to play them. So what else What else have your stats thrown up for us this week, Dave? Give us some more, I guess, interesting things. Well, I mean, going back and looking at Manchester United's record, Burnley, going back to the 1960s and before had a really good record. Um, it's only sort of recent times that Manchester United have, uh, have done well. Burnley did manage to get another goal, but it wasn't a competitive match. You may remember uh, Stan Turnant's testimonial game. Manchester- <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are clutching this week, Dave. <laughs> we, well, we were. We are, yeah. Uh, Mark Pugh actually scored a goal for, uh, for Burnley that game. They sent a, a quite a strong side. Um, it was international break, but they had some players who you know weren't in the England side at the time. I think Paul Scholes, Phil Neville, Chris Eagles was actually playing for uh, uh, for Manchester United. And an interesting fact for listeners was that um, I think it's probably Tom Heaton's first ever appearance at Turf Moor. He came on as um, a substitute. Wow! In that game. <gasps> I didn't know that. I didn't think he'd ever played against us. That's that's a good stat, Dave. I like that one. I'm not reading my Twitter feed because I I tweeted that out a couple of weeks back. Oh, okay. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Okay, listeners, if anybody's out there, can you please remind me to keep an eye on Dave's Twitter feed? I'm so sorry, Dave. I will try better next week. (laughs) Well, yes, Tom, Tom, very young Tom Heaton. That was... uh, 
going back, what, 14 years now. I think he was um, 18 at the time. It's very exciting. I'm just looking through this, uh, through some of these stats that Dave's prepared here. There's a few quite high-scoring games, isn't there, Dave? I'm looking looking at this one. Oh, we had a win back in the 1960s. A couple of quite decent wins, didn't we, here? Oh, well, there was a 5-3 win in uh, 1960. That was a season after... Uh... Uh, Burnley won the league title. I mean, in- interestingly, in the, the the season we won the league title, we lost four one. But um, there have been some some other high scoring games: a five three, a four two, three nil, another five three, going back to the nineteen fifties. I say Burnley had a reasonable record against Manchester United. Yeah, back then, we did. It's just uh, well, in my lifetime, we've uh, we've not done too well. Yeah, same here. We obviously, I think that's that's difficult. Obviously, it was a completely different time wasn't it back in the 1960s and Burnley were right you know Burnley were the Manchester United of, of the current league form back then so Dave talk us through some of these goal scorers for Burnley back in the 60s these will be some really great names for some of our listeners yeah I mean the the, the interesting one which one we haven't spoken about yet was um, a 6-1 victory um, and Andy Lockhead scored four of those that was in uh, 1963 Boxing Day match um, I've not got the start to hand actually, but I, sh- I should have done really. I think it was one where Burnley won at Turf Moor, and I think they lost in like five one at um, at Old Trafford the following day. God, he taketh and he giveth away. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can have this win, but then you're going to get absolutely battered. Some of these goal scorers on there. There's a familiar name around the 1957-1958 season. Is that the the, the the lovely Jimmy McElroy who scored in those two games, Dave? Uh, yeah, two two games. One was a, a, a 3-0 victory and one was a, a 3-1 loss. But yeah, Jimmy McElroy scored in uh, in both those matches. Um, oh, it's to see. That would be a great that would be a great sending off for him, wouldn't it, this this weekend if we can put right this week, put right the cloud that's that's going over Turf more at the moment and, and score like Jimmy did for us, that would be great. Yeah, and one one, um, of, the pit, one of the pities as well is that there's not much um footage out there of the games from that time. I mean Bob Lord oh, wasn't keen no, on having uh, cameras at Turf more and obviously it wasn't as prevalent um in terms of the T V cameras back then. So there's sort of you know, bits and pieces of uh clips of goals and uh, bits of skill yeah. but there's not nothing like you get these days no I know it does make it makes your job kind of harder does that you've got to resort to books and things well, exactly yeah <laughs> mm, true. it is um, I mean obviously you, you've you've talked um, you've talked about what you you've, your feelings are for Sunday I mean I guess generally speaking, Dave, how are you feeling about the last week? Um, are you all doom and gloom? Can you find some hope? Um, I'm, well, I'm never Mr. Doom and Gloom. I tend to be look on the positive side. And obviously, you know, it's worrying that we are conceding goals. But when you look behind that a little bit at the uh, the chances that have been created, Burnley, unusually for Burnley, are actually conceding more than you expect when you look at the chances. Uh, the positions that shots have been taken from, you know, the number of defenders between goals, you know, the, the expected goal stat. Burnley are doing worse than you would expect, whereas over the, the last, well, three, four, five seasons, Burnley have been much better. So it, it's sort of an unusual, it, you know, it could well be a blip for two or three games, so I kind of cling to that, that yeah. uh, we can sort of revert back to uh, how we have been um, going forward. A couple of debates that, that Robbie and I have had on the show um, in the 
build up to your uh, your feature here, Dave. Number one, what on earth's happened to our defence? And we were, I guess, we were trying to debate whether or not it's a keeper problem or whether or not it's it's just one of those things. I think it could be, could um, be partially that, but it could also be the um, unsettling part of it. You know, the fact that you're having um, different defences playing in midweek and then different ones the weekend. Whether that has an impact, obviously, it's not not tiredness because um, yeah, for the most Game part, we're playing different players. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, funny, both of those debates came up actually, Dave. Um, so that's that's quite interesting that you, that you share those views. Finally, d- which camp do you sit on? Do you sit on um, get out of Europe as soon as is humanly possible, or do you sit on camp? We should be embracing Europe and go as far as we can. No, we should be trying to win and get through to the group stages. Yes. When when will we get another chance to do that? Oh, Dave, you know what? You're a delight. You came right down on my side. I love this. And listeners, I promise I didn't bribe him here. and I didn't set him up for this. This is genuinely being recorded separately from the main show so, uh, this week. So please, you know, just just clearly people should just agree with me. Um, Dave, thank you so much as ever. That was a, a fantastic head-to-head look for United at home on Sunday. Um, the next time we speak to you, we will be looking at Wolves, I believe. That will be after the international break. So um, thanks for having us, Dave, and we'll see you next time. Okay, see you next time. So, Robbie, let's sign off on that. We've had Dave's comments. We've had the head-to-head. It's not looking that great. <laughs> let's finish off. I think, we, obviously, we've talked at length about Olympiakos. Regardless of what the merits are of staying in the competition, what do you actually think will happen on Thursday? Do you think he will play a full-strength side? And if so, what results are you expecting? I think, yeah, I think it'll be full-strength. And I think we will go out, but I think it'll be a, a real valiant effort. I think the fans will be right on side. I think it'll be a great atmosphere. I just think we'll just fall short. I, I think we'll just may, maybe win the game like 1-0 and just not have enough on the night, unfortunately. Oh, that makes me sad to even think of it. And um, United away on Sunday, uh, United at home even on Sunday. I just had to get one last wrong fact in there before the end of this chaotic podcast. United in turmoil as well. Um, now, obviously, that can work for or against us. We can obviously get a good hide and start their season, or we can take advantage and get our season going. What do you think that uh, Sunday will bring, Robbie? I don't think either side can afford to lose. So I think a nil-nil draw. I think Burnley will go back to basics because I don't think Sean will be happy with the amount of goals we conceded. And so I think a nil-nil draw is probably is probably a, a realistic bet. I like it. I'd take that, though. I think that's a decent result. Oh, yeah, so would I. Excellent. Me too. Let's get seen. We're ending on a positive note. Um, listeners, that is all we have time for this week. We hope that we have made your week a little easier. We hope we've made you feel a little bit better or at least given you something to get off your chest. This week's our thanks go to our special fan guest, Liam Hallinan, who gave us his postcard from Athens piece and was absolutely fantastic. I'm really looking forward to having him back on the show. Thanks go to Matt, our producer, for putting together this little production. Thanks to Dave, our resident statistician, and thanks to Robert, my co-host in the studio. Finally, thanks to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. We would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Never podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.